instance, we have the prayer of King Solomon at the dedication of the temple. Hear the word of God. Then Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in the presence of all the assembly of Israel. He spread out his hands toward heaven. And he said, O Lord God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven above or on earth beneath, keeping covenant and showing steadfast love to your servants, who walk before you with all their heart. You have kept with your servant David, my father, that you declared to him. And you spoke, what you, you spoke with your mouth and with your hand. You have fulfilled it this day. Now, therefore, O Lord, God of Israel, keep for your servant David, my father, what you have promised him, saying, You shall not lack a man to sit before me on the throne of Israel, if only your sons pay close attention to their way, to walk before me as you have walked before me. Now, therefore, O God of Israel, let your word be confirmed, which you have spoken to your servant David, my father. But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you. How much less this house that I have built. Yet have regard to the prayer of your servant and to his plea, O Lord my God. Listening to the cry and to the prayer that your servant prays before you this day. That your eyes may be open night and day toward this house, the place of which you have said, My name shall be there. That you may listen to the prayer that your servant offers toward this place, and listen to the plea of your servant and of your people Israel when they pray toward this place, and listen in heaven, your dwelling place, and when you hear, forgive. If a man sins against his neighbor and is made to take an oath and comes and swears his oath before your altar in this house, then hear in heaven and act and judge your servants, condemning the guilty by bringing his conduct on his own head and vindicating the righteous by rewarding him according to his righteousness. And when your people Israel are defeated before the enemy because they have sinned against you, and if they turn again to you and acknowledge your name and pray and plead with you in this, uh, in this house, then hear in heaven and forgive the sin of your people Israel and bring them again to the land that you gave to their fathers. And when heaven is shut up and there is no rain because they have sinned against you, if they pray toward this place and acknowledge your name, and turn from their sin when you afflict them, then hear in heaven and forgive the sin of your servants, your people, Israel, when you teach them the good way in which they should walk and grant rain upon your land, which you have given to your people as an inheritance. And if there is famine in the land, if there is pestilence or blight or mildew or locust or caterpillar, if their enemy besieges them in the land at their gates, whatever plague, whatever sickness there is, whatever prayer, 
whatever plea is made by any man or by all your people Israel, each knowing the affliction of his own heart and stretching out his hands toward this house, then hear in heaven your dwelling place and forgive and act and render to each whose heart you know according to all his ways. For you, you only know the hearts of all the children of mankind, that they may fear you all the days that they live in the land that you gave to our fathers. Likewise, when a foreigner who is not of your people Israel comes from a far country for your namesake, for they shall hear of your great name and your mighty hand and of your outstretched arm. And when he comes and prays toward this house, hear in heaven your dwelling place and do according to all for which the foreigner calls to you in order that all the peoples of the earth may know your name and fear you as you as do your people Israel and that they may know that this house that I have built is called by your name. If your people go out to battle against the enemy by whatever way you shall send them and they pray to the Lord toward this city that you have chosen and the house that I have built for your name. Then hear in heaven their prayer and their plea, maintain their cause. If they sin against you, for there is no one who does not sin, and you are angry with them, and give them to an enemy, so that they are carried away captive to the land of the enemy, far off or near. Yet if they turn their heart in the land to which they have been carried captive and repent, and plead with you in the land and in their, of their captors, saying, We have sinned and have acted perversely and wickedly. If they repent with all their heart and with all their soul in the land of their enemies, who carried them captive and pray to you toward their land, which you gave to their fathers, the city that you have chosen, and the house that I have built for your name. Then hear in heaven your dwelling place, their prayer and their plea, and maintain their cause, and forgive your people who have sinned against you, against you and all their transgressions that they have committed against you, and grant them compassion in the sight of those who carried them captive, that they may have compassion on them, for they are your people and your heritage, which you brought out of Egypt from the midst of the iron furnace. Let your eyes be open to the plea of your servant and to the plea of your people Israel, giving ear to them whenever they call to you, for you separated them from among all the peoples of the earth to be your heritage as you declared through Moses, your servant, when you brought our fathers out of Egypt, O Lord God. So ends the reading of God's word. Let us pray. Eternal God, we give thanks to you for your word, and we pray that as we hear it and consider it this night, that your spirit would apply it and open it to us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
As I mentioned, this is the prayer of Solomon at the dedication of the temple of uh, the people, uh, the temple that King Solomon had built. And uh, this prayer would, uh, as uh, it was not only heard by the assembled uh, people of Israel who were gathered in a great throng on that day for that special occasion, it was not only heard then, but as it is recorded here in the Bible, it would be uh, read and known and heard uh, by the exiles uh, many, many years later. And as they would read these petitions, they would very much Many of them recognize that they themselves are described in these verses and would be encouraged to pray. And so it is my prayer that as you and I are those who have wandered far from God, but that God by his grace through Christ has come and sought us out, we who are exiled from God and brought us near that you would read these words and also be encouraged to pray whatever your circumstances may be. Uh, we, are, we are deeply, deeply in need of the grace of God. And these petitions that Solomon gives uh, point us to that need and uh, Solomon here prays very much as one who intercedes for the people as, a, I think, even a type of the Lord Jesus Christ who intercedes for us before the Father. I'd like for us to consider these, uh, these verses. It's a long passage, and there's much that is repeated throughout them, but there are some unique features. I'd like for us to consider it under four headings. First of all, let's Look at the God who invites us to pray. Secondly, let's consider that the Lord God has placed his name in a place, and that name ensures a hearing. So first, the God who invites us to pray. Secondly, the name that ensures a hearing. Thirdly, the misery that moves us to pray. And fourthly, the compassion that welcomes returning exiles. So consider, first of all, how Solomon addresses God. You notice that in the beginning of this section, he says in verse 22, uh, Solomon is described here as standing before the altar of the Lord in the presence of all the assembly of Israel. And he spread out his hands toward heaven, and he said, O Lord God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven above or on earth beneath keeping covenant and showing steadfast love to your servants who walk before you with all their heart. And here we see a description of God in all of his greatness. There is no God like the God of Israel. God has revealed himself specially to Israel. He has acted for Israel, calling Israel out of slavery 
and entering into covenant with Israel. And so God is not only the God of creation. He is a God who is, is, is greater than all that he has made. He is uh, transcendent. He is above our ability to comprehend or understand. But what, what strikes Solomon most wonderfully is the faithfulness of God. Keeping covenant, showing steadfast love to your servants who walk before you with all your heart. It is God who condescends to enter into a covenant of grace and mercy with Israel. In fact, he invites them to come into his presence. And he dwells among a sinful people. He does not hold himself separate, but even as the account has described earlier, the glory cloud has come and filled the holy of holies, so much so that they were not able to continue to minister there. And so God is transcendently high and lifted up, but he is also a God who dwells among his people, who is a faithful covenant-keeping God. And that faithfulness is evident in all of the ways in which God has kept his promises to Israel. As a matter of fact, going all the way back to Abraham and right on through, Solomon understands, and so ought we also to understand as we read of the mighty and great works of God, that God is one who does with his hands that which he has spoken with his mouth. He is not one who speaks frivolously. He is a God who does what he promises. And he had promised that he would choose a place, Jerusalem, where he would place his name and that his glory would dwell among the nation of Israel. And all of those promises Solomon now recognizes have come true. What a wonderful thing to consider the glory of this temple, the way in which God enriched Solomon and gave him wisdom that he was able to build such a magnificent building. And it was uh, God's will for him to do that. And the gold that it was made out of and the shining uh, beauty of that place was a fitting symbol of the greatness and the glory of God. And Solomon here recognizes, in a sense, I think of this temple as, 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 uh, as if you compare it to the tabernacle, you can think of the tabernacle as the revelation of Jesus Christ in his humility in the temple as the revelation of Jesus in his glory. It is almost as though, just as we think of redemption having come to completion in the resurrection of Christ, Solomon here praises God for completing the, that which he had promised to do in enabling him to build this temple. God is a gracious covenant-keeping God. He keeps his promises, and for that reason, he is encouraged to pray. He's encouraged now to lay out his petitions, knowing that God is a God who is gracious and merciful and is 
that the people of Israel are his special people. We notice that especially you might have picked it up at the end of the section that we read. That Solomon argues for God's special, uh, he reminds God of, of, his, uh, of the fact that these are your people, your heritage, which you brought out of Egypt. And so God has said to his covenant people, and he says to you tonight, that you are his. And he promises certain things to you. He makes promises to you that he has kept. And the fact that he has kept them is an encouragement for you to trust him that he will continue to be the God who is faithful to you. So that is the first thing that we notice that Solomon prays to a great God, the covenant God, the God who is faithful and keeps his promises. But the second thing that we notice is the name that Solomon mentions. And it's very striking in the in the verse, verses uh, 28 and following, where he, in verse 27, describes the fact that heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain God, how much less this house, in spite of the glory of the temple that he built, yet it is nothing compared to the glory of God. This house cannot be a dwelling for the God who created the universe Yet, he says in verse 28, Have regard to the prayer of your servant and to his plea, O Lord my God, listening. And you'll notice that in these verses that follow, 28 through 30, notice the repetition of the word listen. Notice the mention of eyes. Notice the mention of ears. You have regard, have regard to the prayer of your servant and to his plea. O Lord my God, listen to the cry and to the prayer of your servant praise before you this day. And then he says that your eyes, now we know that God doesn't have eyes. Uh, God doesn't have a body like men, and yet he speaks of God in this anthropomorphic way so that we might understand what he's saying he says, let your eyes be open upon, uh, be open night and day, constantly toward this house, the place of which you have said, my name shall be there, that you may listen to the prayer of your servant that he offers toward this place, and listen to the plea of your servant and of your people Israel when they pray toward this place, and listen in heaven your dwelling place, and when you hear, forgive. It is, it is uh, striking that the word listen in the few verses that we just read is used uh, four times. And it means, uh, when he describes the eyes, of ears, the, the eyes and ears of God, that God would, uh, as it were, have his attention focused on this place. That that if God's people would look to him as he reveals his glory here in this place, and it is very definite the way he speaks about that, that God's ears and eyes will be open to this place. His name is attached to this place. And uh, his name shall be there, we are told. 
And so when God puts his name someplace, it is, it is in, uh, as though he is saying that uh, this is, these people are my people. And he spreads his protection over them. And he promises to be their God and they will be his people. It is as though God's revelation of himself is concentrated here as his glory is revealed here in this place of this most holy place, this temple where God dwells in the midst of his people. That as we cry to him and direct our prayers toward the name he says, hear and listen. It is as though this is, is uh, almost a communication switchboard. It is as though as, as God's, prayer, God's people pray and direct their prayers to this place, that they in their turn are directed to heaven where God dwells. And you notice that the, the way in which it speaks about heaven as the dwelling place of God and yet the God's people are directed to pray here. I can't help but think, but here we have a, 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 a picture of the dwelling place of God uh, being in uh, the Messiah. That God takes his place. He, that the Son of God uh, takes to himself our humanity. And it is there that he It is there that his name is. And we are directed to pray directly to God through Jesus Christ. To pray in Jesus' name is to, to, as as the larger catechism says, to draw our encouragement to pray and our boldness to pray and our strength and our hope of acceptance in prayer from Christ and his mediation. And so it is that Solomon here directs us to pray uh, to the God who promises to hear us according to his uh, dwelling in this place where he has put his name. Thirdly, consider as well the misery that moves us to pray. The misery that moves us to pray after after Solomon speaks of the place where God's name will dwell, he describes situation after situation when there's a pattern here, and the pattern is when this happens and when they pray, then here in heaven, act and forgive. Seven situations are described, and... uh, they are described in such a way so that they, what is experienced is misery. Uh, the people of Israel, in one way or another, experience the results of their sin. And when they are brought to a place where they realize their sin, Solomon says, when they turn and they pray and they acknowledge your name and they plead with you, here in heaven and forgive the sins of your people. And so it is that, it is the case, isn't it, that it is our suffering that moves us so often to pray. 
and to seek that forgiveness, to seek the Lord's grace, that he would forgive our sins and remove the effects of our sins even in our own lives. Solomon describes uh, Israel uh, being carried away captive at one point. And I'm not going to go through each verse of this chapter, but just to notice the pattern that in each situation, uh, the people of Israel are brought to feel and to know their need for God. And they experience a change of heart. And this is most brought out in uh, verses 46 and following, where he says, If they sin against you, for there is no one who does not sin, and you are angry with them, and give them to an enemy, so that they are carried away captive to the land of the enemy, far or near. Yet if they turn their heart in the land to which you have been, they, they have been carried captive, and repent and plead with you in the land of their captors, saying, We have sinned and have acted perversely and wickedly. If they repent with all their heart and with all their soul in the land of their enemies who carried them captive and pray to you toward their land, which you give them to their fathers, and toward the house that I have built for your name, then here in heaven your dwelling place, their prayer and their plea, and maintain their cause. It's striking that here uh, Israel is described as uh, returning or uh, 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 having a change of heart. If they turn their heart in the land, and in the Hebrew that is literally if they return to their heart, and the New King James and the King James translate it, if when they come to themselves, when they come to themselves. And does that phrase uh, make you think of someone? Does it make you think of the prodigal son and the parable that Jesus told of the prodigal son, that he at some point uh, came to a place of realization? He came to understand his need. And uh, this is what, uh, what God does with us. He brings us in, the, in our place of misery to understand our need. The prodigal son, you remember, wasted his inheritance. He forfeited that. Uh, and he began, the parable says, to be in need. And he longed to be fed from the pods that he was feeding the pigs. And the text in the parable says, he came, to, he came to himself. And it describes a spiritual experience of awakening, of coming to realize that there is a God in heaven to whom he can turn, that he has a heavenly father to whom he can return. So it says, Jesus, as he tells the parable, he says, he came to himself. He said, I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer 
worthy to be called your son. And so our misery brings us in our misery to remember that these things are the effects of our own foolishness and our own waywardness and our own sin. And I don't have to stay here. I could return. We can come to, by God's grace in our lives, we can come to a renewal of an understanding of our own guilt and God's justice, and yet God holding forth mercy. And so the prodigal says, I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, I have sinned. Isn't that what, isn't that what really the position of each and every one whom the father calls to himself? I have sinned. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But then we're told that he arose and he went to his father. And he's described, Jesus here in this parable describes a man who is far from God and he's destitute and in misery. And he goes to his father. What is that? It is prayer. It is to turn to God in prayer. It's not a physical going. It's to bow in humble humility to confess our need, to confess our misery, and to realize that we have a Father in heaven who has promised that he is a compassionate God. And so Solomon says to God in this prayer, when you hear such a prayer, forgive. When you hear such a prayer, you know, there's different ways in which we come to God. And David says in Psalm 51 that you desire truth in the inward parts. And so often it is that we come to God in, sometimes in our sense of great need, but still not fully casting ourselves, not fully aware, manipulating, hoping for a result, hoping that if we do this or that, then God will respond in this or that way. But what is described here is a true enlightening concerning my situation, which enables me in the very truth and the depth of my own heart to cry and to cast myself upon God in his mercy. Solomon expresses that when you hear such a prayer, forgive. And so the prodigal, we're told he arose and he came to his father, and that brings us to our final point, the compassion, the compassion of God. Solomon says, these are your people. They are your heritage. You are the heritage of God. You have the name of God upon you. You belong to him. 
And so he arose. Won't you do this? Won't you consider this? Where are you? What is your relation to God? He arose and he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. Remember the Solomon says, when you see, when you hear. Jesus tells this story as though he has this Solomon's prayer in his mind. When the father was a long way off and the father saw him and he felt compassion and he ran and embraced him and he kissed him. What an amazing thing. What an amazing thing. Maybe you're in that place. You're a long way off. You're feeding on pig's pods, spiritually speaking. And you're miserable. Has it dawned upon you? Has it dawned upon you that you have a Father in heaven? And that you can go to him? And the father runs and embraces him, and he kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against you. And see, so much of where we need to begin is right there. (laughs) That's where we need to begin, just with some straightforward (laughs) honesty. I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He is lost. He was lost and he is found. Oh, the compassion of God. Oh, the joy in his heart, when in exile, in misery, and that may be you. It certainly has been me at different times in my life. Comes to God with some honesty, with some real honesty. And when you come to him in that way, he will hear. He will listen. These are the words that Solomon repeats over and over again. Hear in heaven. Hear the cry of your people. When your cry is directed toward the one in whom the glory of God dwells, the Lord Jesus Christ. When your cry is directed to him. And you, like the prodigal, decide to go home. Oh, how I plead with you. Do that. Go home. Return. Return in prayer. You know, Solomon's temple was glorious. The ritual that was surrounding it was glorious. The glory of God was manifest in that place. 
But you know, under the new covenant, where the glory of God is, is in Christ. And we would hold forth Christ. And I would hold forth Christ to you. And say that he has been sent by the Father to be the Savior of all who come to him. The covenant on the old, the old covenant was, had great many various ordinances. All of them for signified Christ, the confession says. The Christ who was to come. And those ordinances of the old covenant were efficacious through the Spirit to instruct and build up the elect in the Messiah who was to come by whom they had the full remission of sins and eternal salvation. But under the gospel, the confession says, or the larger catechism actually, says that Christ is the substance of all of this. You know, Solomon built a glorious temple, but Christ is the substance of the temple. And how is Christ exhibited? The catechism says, in the preaching of the word, the administration of the sacraments, the baptism, and the Lord's Supper, these ordinances, which are fewer in number and are administered with much more simplicity and much less outward glory, look around you, much less outward glory, yet in them is held forth in more fullness, evidence, and spiritual efficacy to all nations. In Christ, the glory of the temple is known. Would you direct your prayer in your time of need to the Lord Jesus Christ? Call upon him. He is a compassionate God. Let us pray. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we do thank you that even as uh, we are so far historically removed from the time of Israel, yet here we are living in North America so many, many years later. And yet such time is nothing to you. Would you call us, O Lord, out of our sin and out of our misery? Would you reveal to us the full and complete forgiveness that is found in the one whom you have sent to be the savior of of our souls? And would you give us, O Lord, a renewed heart that we would also come and turn in prayer, relying on your promise and relying upon Christ who is set forth for us in scripture. O Lord, do that, we pray. Call us ever, each and every one of your children. Call us that we might 
enter into your eternal kingdom. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.